Winnipeg was different because, like, it was the brave new weasels. It was Twisted Nipple, it was Higher in the Ground, Spleen Jockeys. That, that group was the group. You didn't have new people coming in. You weren't teaching workshops and having the people that are learning to come up be part of the group. Right. That's how, like, Second City works. That's how Rapid Fire works in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So we weren't, like, we were bands. And so, like, the first couple of years that we would come to Europe, people would say, well, why didn't you bring any women with you? Like, well, there's no women in our group. Well, why don't you let women in your group? Well, we don't let anyone in our group. No one goes up to Nirvana and goes, well, why isn't there a woman playing drums? <laughs> Comedian and actor and improv master Lee White shoots on Charleswood, Winnipeg. And what's this guy doing up here in Manitoba? Manitoba. 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 Okay, let's get this show running. Hey, welcome everyone. Uh, shut up. It's Chowman's Cantina Open Mic Comedy, and let's put our hands together for our first comedian, uh, Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Club, do not heckle the Wookie. Hey, you! Welcome to the show, the show, the Manitoba Money Shot Podcast with Ronald George Moore. That's me. That's my name, Ronald George Moore. This is my podcast called the Manitoba Money Shot Podcast. Duh, you already know that. You've been checking in, checking us out. Thank you very much for uh, listening to uh, this episode or past episodes. Um, it's been a wild ride, man. A lot of uh, good times, and especially with this episode. Early on, uh, while Lee was in town for the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, he dropped by, he, and uh, we had a, a great afternoon um, talking. We talked for hours and hours, and um, and uh, it's always great to see Lee. He's so fucking funny. <laughs> He's a really funny guy. He always has interesting things to say. And uh, we go back a long time and he goes into those details, uh, starting up, uh, in, uh, the Winnipeg comedy scene, uh, uh his relationship with, uh, Stephen McIntyre, who's also uh, hi Steve, if you're listening, of course you're not, but, <laughs> um, also Stephen Sim, uh, is uh, half of crumbs with Lee White crumbs is their international improv troupe. Uh, and, uh, yeah, everyone who knows Lee loves Lee. Lee is the best. Um, the Manitoba Money Shot podcast is available on iTunes where you can uh, rate it and give it five stars and leave a comment, or you can go to Stitcher, maybe do the same thing there. Uh, also join us on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on uh, YouTube. I've been adding, uh, some clips, some fun stuff on YouTube lately, some, uh, the Naked Treehouse clips from, uh, 
previous uh, episode. I explained all that with uh, Joseph Schneider. Check that out. Um, yeah, I got a few episodes under the belt along with a nice belly roll, but I'm trying to work on that. Anyway, enjoy the show. Hope you're having a good time. Thank you for listening. Check it out. Thank you. Here we come, crawling out of the mud. We are rolling. Welcome, Lee White. Thank you, Ron Moore. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. You just did the fringe. I was a part of the Dungeons and Dragons Improv Show at uh, the Gas Station Art the, Center. It's something you've been doing every year for the last uh, since they've been doing it. Since it began, because it, it's had a couple different incarnations with a lot oh. of the same people. I've been involved with it always. Not every year was I able to do every show, but I would say probably every year I've at least done one or two shows. But yeah. this was the first time that I was able to do every, every show, show. for it. Right on. So that was great. It was a good run? It was a really good run. I mean, the audience for that show is really wonderful, really mm-hmm. supportive. Yeah. And the energy that you get from that improv show is so unlike other improv shows. Um, not that Winnipeg fans aren't supportive, but just the energy and the, the passion. Because Dungeons & Dragons people don't feel like they're represented in the arts community very much. Or at least it right. was in the old days. Now you have all these Marvel movies and... Game of Thrones, but in the sense of theater, there's very little that's done to try to um, interest that sort of nerd community. Yeah, you know, right, right. Uh, let's uh, let's go back to your roots, and your roots are Charleswood. Yeah, Charleswood in, in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yes. Now, uh, w- did you move around in Charleswood, or were you in one specific location? I lived in one house for the first 18 years of my life. Wow. Um. Uh, deep sort of in Charleswood, um, you know, most people rec- remember that there's a big tank, like an actual yeah. army tank. Right. And that was at the end of my street, basically, just across Roblin. So that's basically where I grew up. And did you it, ever climb on that thing? Oh, on that yeah, tank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> um, and then, like, when I grew up, the my backyard looked out onto a field and there was a, that's where they kept horses from the downs. Oh, okay. So when I was a kid, I would like pick grass and feed it to horses and stuff. Wow. And then somewhere like, probably like around grade two or grade three, it got developed into houses. So now there's a bunch of housing there. Tell me what was exciting <laughs> for you in Charleswood. I mean, there's some horses, but. Um, well, Charleswood is probably. I don't know if this is exactly true, but it's maybe one of the only areas that had ditches. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the ditch. The ditches. So when I was a kid in the winter, you could walk down the ditches and then your foot would go through and you'd get a booter. (laughs) Right. That's what we called it when your foot got all wet and went above your boot. Yeah. And the water got in, you got a booter. Were you ever in a car that managed to get in the ditch? No, luckily no. But I do remember one... uh, like sort of icy snowstorm where the street was just ice and people were like, you know, driving regular speed down it. Yeah. And uh, one kid who was older than me, but he was uh, looking back, he was like a probably like 17 or something. And he spun out and landed in our ditch. And so then my, like we all went out cause it was my front yard. And yeah. He was okay, but he was freaking out because his dad was going to be mad that he smashed the car. And uh, he was uh, he was like, oh, fuck, my dad's going to be so mad. Oh, fuck. And my brother was in the driveway, and he said, watch your fucking language. My little brother's here. <laughs> was, boy, oh, boy. <coughs> so you, ha- you was a very protective older brother? No. 
No. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say protective, no. Uh, uh, but I have an older brother and an older sister. So my sister's 10 years older than me. My brother's nine years older than me. Oh, okay. So in that sense, they kind of did look out for me in a sense. But like, I remember one day some kid was bugging me at school. And so I asked my brother to come to school and beat him up. And he just laughed at me. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But you know, every TV show, right. every older brother comes out and goes, you beating on my brother. And you know, yeah. not my brother. No, he didn't, he didn't care. No, it didn't. But he would always brag about having really tough friends. <laughs> Why would he do that? Just, uh, well, he had tough friends. So, oh, you know, so that's, it that's was what legitimate. You do. Yeah, when oh, you have okay. tough friends, you say, "Oh, I'm friends with this guy. He's a tough guy. Beat the shit. He beat the shit out of some guy last week." You know, like. Did you find that you were you the type of kid who would always end up getting in fights with other students, or would you more or less get along with everybody? Um, I was, uh, I was teased a lot. There was one kid at school, like in my elementary school, that I would consider my bully through like multiple years, mm-hmm. physically beating me up. And I, I was never, really? I was never a fighter. I could never fight and I never played sports. Right. Um, and no, no, not at all. No hockey, no baseball. No, I wow. mean, I never, I never really learned how to ice skate. Like I can't really, I mean, I could do it, but like, I look like a, like Bambi on ice, right. you know, like I can't really do it. Um, but I was okay at floor hockey. I was a good goaltender, actually. Okay. So when we played in gym class, I was always the goaltender, and I was, for some reason, I was good. I think it was more, I was used to getting punched, so standing in front of a puck wasn't a big deal. Right. Or a ball or whatever. <laughs> cool. And then my neighbor had, like, a, he'd make an ice rink every year, just like a little garden-sized ice rink, but we would just play on our shoes. Right. On the ice. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I was never good, and it wasn't really something that I wanted to get better at. I wasn't interested in it. Um, so you're not doing sports. So what 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 are you doing as a kid? Like, how are you spending your time? Are you into TV? Are you reading comic books? Or uh, I read a little bit of comic books. I was really more into my Star Wars toys and my GI Joe toys. Star Wars, yeah, for original sure. trilogy. You know, so like I I still I collect a lot of vintage toys. But for me, that was my world, right? Like that was the world I could control. Yeah, you know, so. Uh, I was basically a little kid practicing storytelling, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm going to say a good improviser. Yes. Okay. And then when G.I. Joe's came out, they were so much um, better to pose because they had twisty arms and bendy knees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think probably once a month I would set up a battle scene and just take pictures. Well, really? Wild. That's wild. Um, that was like my favorite thing to do is just to set up all of my figures and, you know, in mid battle and the bad guys are getting shot. And, and, and it was just kind of like, like a storyboard, if you will. You yeah. Know? It wasn't so much making a comic. It would just be like one scene yeah. and then take pictures from different angles and close ups and stuff. Um, so that was really where I spent a lot of my time. And then one summer, um, probably gr- like end of grade three, going into grade four that summer, my mom said, you can stay up as late as you want. And that's when I really discovered comedy. My sister, had, as a kid, gotten me, like I'd watched Monty Python, SCTV, and mm-hmm. my sister always kind of made me watch comedy. But it wasn't until that summer, like I would stay up and I'd watch Saturday Night Live. Um, you remember there was the show Friday? Yeah, oh well, yeah, like, Fridays, Cr- Michael Richards, Larry yeah. David. And, um, and then Laugh-In and like old 
comedy Rowan shows. Rowan and Martin's laughing. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, like, yeah. and so then I just became about studying comedy. Wow. And then grade four, I had a teacher who recognized that I wasn't great at like handwriting and I wasn't great at studying, <clears throat> but if I could perform then I would put more work into it. So if I read a book and had to do a book report, I didn't have to write. I could stand in front of the class and pretend to be one of the people in the book. Wow, that's cool. What a great teacher. She was absolutely awesome. And so then every weekend, I was just staying up watching comedy. I I really thought I was going to be like a... Not a, not a, an imitator. What do you call it when you do voices? An impressionist. Impressionist. I was going to be an impressionist. Like yeah. I did every voice that was on all of these shows. Like, um, and so then in grade four, when I started being funny, and I started being able to repeat all of like Louis Anderson's jokes. Oh, so it wasn't just TV sketch. It was, it was stand up as well. Anything that was comedy, especially like Carson. Like if I was really good, like I would watch Mash, and if I was really good, Mash I, at- 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. And then at 10.30, uh, Carson came on. Mm-hmm. And if I was a good boy, I could watch the monologue. And if there was a comedian on, then sometimes my mom would let me stay up to watch the comedian on the show. Wow. So, cool. Very cool. <clears throat> and I got so into it. Um, and then going into grade five, my teacher actually moved to teach in grade five, and I had the same teacher again. So for grade four and grade five is, like, really when I first started just, like, doing comedy. Right. And, like, every presentation, every sort of thing I could do that I could do in front of the class, I would. I had brought costumes to class, and so then then the girl... You brought costumes? Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> like... Would you, what would you dress up as? Well, I had, like, a trench coat, and I'd do Columbo. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, like, uh, <clears throat> and my sister was very supportive of all of this. So like she would help me get costumes, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like she would find me old trench coats or old weird hats and stuff. Right. So then I would just spend like all my time in my room, either like imitating, dressing up and being these characters, or I'd sit in front of the TV practicing. I remember being in my basement, rewinding... Mary Gross imitating Mary Hart. Uh, Mary Gross from SNL, from yeah. From SNL, and she did like a... Mary like, Hart. Uh, Mary, Mary Hart. Um, we're gonna make it after all. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. So, oh, Mr. Grant. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> so sure. then I'd, I'd sit there rewinding the sketch like for an hour. And I remember at one point kind of feeling like, oh, something's weird. And I turned around and it was just my dad standing there with this like disappointed look on his face that his son was trying to imitate Mary Tyler Moore. (laughs) (laughs) And just just, just walk down the room. Shake his head, walk out. My dad was a funny guy in a sense too. My dad liked practical jokes. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot of comedy from him. My mom has a sense of humor too, but it was a bit more sensitive. Right. My dad liked Polish jokes, you know. <laughs> For sure. That kind of stuff. So because of all of this comedy stuff, girls started talking to me. And then when I'd say, hey, do you want to be my, my girlfriend? They'd be like, no, no, we just like, we just like <laughs> comedy. And then some of the sort of, I guess, jocks in a sense started to like me as well. 
started getting into heavy metal, which some of the jocks were into. So I had a little group of people that kind of protected me in a sense, Mm -hmm. but I was never in equal status with them. I was kind of their mascot. Okay. I get that. Um, you, you, heavy metal was your first uh, musical choice? It was the first musical sort of genre that I got into. Yeah. I would say the music that I liked before that was like well, like novelty records, like before Weird Al, like, you know, like... Um, Dr. Demento? Dr. Demento, but like... Wow. You'd get like, you know, uh, Looney Tunes, 28 classic... Yeah. K-Tel records, right? So like I, over and over I listened to all of those. What's like, the matter, you? Yeah, that or like... Uh, um, one day when I was out with some shopping, you know, and, and then the, the, the joke of it is that I stepped in a big pile of shaving cream, you know, totally. Yeah. There's so Love. many one hit wonders of novelty yeah. songs. Um, and so I was really into that was, and, but I also listened to like kind of pop music. Like I had, you know, greatest hits of 1982, you know? Yeah. But heavy metal was like the first time I was like, oh, this is me. This is like changing how I dress. Yeah. In a sense, you know. Um, and that lasted probably till about grade eight. And that's when I got into skateboarding. Ah, oh, okay. But okay. then as a, a kid, I would go to a camp. And when I was at that camp, there was no one from my school there. So then I, that's when I started feeling like a status amongst people because mm-hmm. at my school I didn't have it. They all wanted to hear me make jokes and do the imitations. Right. But then at the camp, it was like, oh, he's the cool guy. Really? You found that yeah. label because well, you're still continuing what you're doing in school at camp. What? Maybe I'm exaggerating a little. Maybe not everyone thought I was so cool, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was on an equal playing level and because I was funny, I stood out more. Yeah, yeah. So that's when I started to recognize that like, oh, I'm good at this. And, um, away from people that don't know me. Right. Okay. Like I could entertain a crowd of people that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I was 10, my mom kind of got a little frustrated with me because I would stand in front of the TV and do all of these imitations for her. Yeah. Which she didn't really always find funny. <laughs> I guess if you're living with it. Yeah, well, but she also didn't know all of these references to, okay. to because it's like Saturday Live stuff, you know. So yeah. like Mary Tyler Moore, okay, she knew who that was, but then like doing Ed Grimley, she's like, I don't think this is funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. Okay. So she sent me to Manitoba Theater for Young People, and it was downtown. So at Get ten, I started out of here really so, wild. So when I was ten, I started taking acting classes, and that's when I, again I found this other group of people who um, saw me in a different way, right. Similar interests. Wow, such a young age. You, you knew it. You knew right then. Yeah, Until and I, I stopped think. basically learning anything else at that point because I knew, like, this is what I'm going to do. I thought I was going to be a Hollywood movie star. Right. But, uh, of course, that didn't. I think everyone did. Like, back at yeah. <laughs> that, that age. Yeah, that's a bad dream. Even, no, it's a great dream. But I remember, like, when I turned 18 because I remember, like, my whole life I thought, well, when I'm 18, I'm just going to move to L.A., Right. And then when I was 18, I was like, oh, I, I have to plan this. <laughs> you know, like, like Hollywood's not just going to send an airplane for me. Right. Um, and then that's when, you know, Higher Than the Ground, and that's when I started doing sketch and improv comedy. All, all those Higher Than the Ground. Okay, Higher Than the Ground was your first sketch troupe? Yeah. Okay. And it was, uh, geez, it was a big group. It was like 12? Originally, it was like 20 people. 20. 
Um, like an entire class at M2IP or something uh, like that? Not one class, but cherry-picked from all of the classes from a, a wide, like a probably four or five-year age range. Age yeah. range. Who was the ringleader? Like, who, who did the picking? Um, well, technically, it was, it was McIntyre. Okay. A- and what McIntyre did said, I, I'm writing a play called, and he eventually did it, called Booger High. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea was that it was a bunch of high school students going through the troubles of being in high school kind of thing. And so he wanted us all to do it. But because he didn't really have the play finished and he didn't really have a place to do it, yeah. he started teaching me, Derek Osland, and Mike McFadden, who used to be Mike Toner, but Mike McFadden, uh, how to run a group. Okay. How to run a group. How to run a group, how to rent a theater. So like that's when Venue 8 started, which right. was very much a Theater X, Steve McIntyre thing. Right. And for those of you who don't know, Venue 8 was the third floor of Mother Tucker's Restaurant downtown. Which is a heritage building, I guess, right? Like, it's still there, it's but it's been abandoned building. for... It's an old Masonic building. And then uh, Mother Tucker's was the restaurant at the bottom. And there in the middle, there was this macaroni bar. Yeah. That's what it was called. I'm not just making up <laughs> no, a technical was... term for a restaurant. It was called the macaroni bar. And then above that, there was this empty space. So McIntyre and a few others from Theater X took it over. Right. And made a theater there. So... That's where we cut our teeth. That's how we figured it all out. Wow. So, so it started off as three, or like uh, we, three. The, like we were like the director, artistic director, and organizer kind of thing. Okay. Not like a board of directors, but in a sense, it was the three of us. Um, and so then we were like, well, we can do sketch comedy while he's writing this play. Right. And so we started writing sketch comedy. That 20 quickly shrunk to about like you said, 12, 14 or so people mm-hmm. um, had to, like, fire people. That's tough. You know. Because <laughs> was it just simply like, oh, they didn't show up? Or just like, mm, you don't cut it. Sorry. Um, some of it was you're not showing up, you're not committed. Some of it was you're not writing anything, and we don't know how to write for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of us who were writing were writing – in a sense for ourselves, like, or I would write for Paul Anthony or something. Cause I knew Paul. I'm like, I know what, what characters Paul can do. So I'll write for Paul. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people started to get angry. Like, well, you're not writing sketches for us. And I was like, Hey, this is it's collaborative. Every- yeah. Like <laughs> write something, cast yourself in it. And if it's funny, it's up. Like, yeah. That's the test. Right. And there were definitely times when people would write things and we'd be like, okay, this is your first thing. Let's put it up so you can feel what it's like to bomb. And then get how to rewrite these things. Yeah. And then really essentially it came down to about seven of us. Derek left, Mike left, um, a few other people left. And then there was that sort of core seven of us Mm -hmm. that became really what we were for most of our existence of higher than the ground. Right, right. Um, But for probably two years we were doing a sketch show a week. Really? All new material. Yeah. I mean, not, we were all kids. Like None of us were really working. We were all living with our parents, so it was pretty easy in a so sense. So this is, like, when you first got, had the, the group, uh, how old were you, like 16? 
18. You were 18 because I was thinking it's in a bar, right? So you have, don't you have to that be That was part age? of it, but it was also that none of us could go to MTYP anymore. Ah, how to continue working together. Right. So right. McIntyre sat down with a bunch of us and said, so what are you going to do? And we all went, well, we're actors. We're just going to work. And he's like, well, you live in Winnipeg, you idiot. Yeah. No one's hiring anybody. Right. I mean, you know, you can argue that things have changed in this town, but things haven't changed mm-hmm. at all. The people that are working are either making their own work or they're slugging it out trying to get one role a year at PTE, MTC. And I'm not trying to um, badmouth them. Right. But if MTC brings in a big show, usually those actors are from Toronto or from out of town. And the roles that you would get would be very small. I see. Yeah. And I wasn't a musical guy. I couldn't go to Rainbow Stage, really, you know. And that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And then as I started doing more sketch comedy, we would fill in improv when we didn't have enough time. Mm-hmm. And I realized this is because I loved sketch comedy. I love Silent Live. I love stand up. <clears> so <throat> this was a better fit for what I my skill set was. Right. So that's really what I loved doing was that. And I didn't I did a lot of plays for a long time, but In addition to the higher than the ground? Yeah. 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 Did you do MTC? Never did MTC, never really did PTE or anything like that. I never did any main stage stuff. But like, you know, at that time, Karen Ham was here. Green Eggs and Ham was the the improv group, but then Ham It Up Productions. So I did a lot of plays with her Mm -hmm. and and that group. Um, And just, you know, every fringe, I was usually doing Higher Than the Ground and a play. And something else, right. Yeah. I never decided I was going to be an improviser. I just kind of woke up one day and realized, oh, I've been doing improv for... For, for 15 years. Really? I guess yeah. I better just keep doing this. <laughs> okay. Occasionally I would audition for something, but I, you know, I never really looked the parts, you know, and in, when you get into film and television, it's often more about looks than skill. Absolutely. It's all about, yeah, do you, are you the right height? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you the right age? And You'd go and you'd get rejected so many times. After a while, you just kind of said, well, I'm having more fun doing this. I'm working doing improv and sketch comedy, so why bother, you know, right. suffering through all of that? And so, But after uh, Higher Than the Ground, uh, you evolved into Crumbs. Yeah. And Crumbs did sketch as well, if yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then improv just kind of took over. Right. Higher Than the Ground went to about 96. For most of 97, we became this weird sort of art collective co-op called Children Who Don't Listen to Their Parents. Okay. And then that fringe, we had probably four or five shows in it that our sort of circle of friends were all involved in. Mm-hmm. Like, that's around the time that Paul Anthony left town. He went to Vancouver. Um, and then, basically, Steve uh, Steve Sim, Devin McCracken, and I were sitting down. They approached me and said, we want to start an improv group. Let's just do it, the three of us. Yeah. And we'll do sketches. It was I don't know if we really decided what we were going to do, but we knew we were going to do sketches and improv. You're going to do something. You're going to be on stage together. Um, so, as Crumbs, like, we released a, a cassette tape of our sketches... We actually recorded uh, a second cassette that never really got released. Oh, really? Wild. Um, and then that was like ninety, late 97. And then in 98, we started touring and traveling. 
Right. So like then we started going to Edmonton, we started going to Vancouver, and we started sort of expanding and recognizing what improv was. Now, when you were touring, are you heading to improv festivals? Were they no, happening no, we that were, early? We were like doing Fringe. You doing know, fringe. Like we did the Saskatoon Fringe, then we went to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really around the time that we started recognizing that improv was bigger than what we had known. Yeah. You know, like there was long form improv, there was, um, you know, theater sports, there was a lot of other sort of genre styles and formats to improv that we had never heard about because mm-hmm. we never looked, you know, this, the internet was barely existing at that point and we never looked it up in the library or anything. We mm-hmm. just kept doing it the way we were doing it. Right. But because of that, we had a very different viewpoint on it than the rest of the world because most people that were doing improv were imitating Chicago, Calgary, or um, these other centers for improv. Right. But when that, that would be long form. Um, when they're imitating like long form yeah, styles. Well, like they're not doing Heralds? Heralds, yeah. Um, but even like theater sports, like we met people through Calgary that were doing theater sports and they basically told us this kind of improv you're doing is, is shit. Don't do that. Do theater sports and you'll make money. Wow. <laughs> and, and if I would have listened to them, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. True. I'd be living in Calgary doing fart comedy <laughs> uh, for tourists, basically. Um, so, so then when you, let me just interrupt. Go ahead. When you guys were uh, starting off and you, like you said, you didn't really know what improv was out there because you're just doing your own style, right? Like you well, just... we, were, we were all doing the same kind of thing, really. We'd go up in front of the audience. We'd take a suggestion. We'd do what we would call now an open scene. Yeah, open scenes. You guys did a bit more games than we did. Yeah, we used to, uh, Brave New Weasels was, was the troupe I was in, and we were doing uh, definitely gamey improv, you know, short form, they call it, I guess. Right. Um, arms expert. Yeah. But because <laughs> I went to theater school, for me, that was all like stuff you do in, in the classroom. Like, why would you put that on stage? And right. we did a bit of it, you know, but the stuff that we would do is a bit more open. Like we would do dubbing scenes where we would dub people, um, a lot of freeze claps. Right. But we never really did arms expert. We never did speak in one voice. Like categories. We, yeah. We never no. really did that kind of stuff. Right. But I remember Twisted Nipple and the Brave New Easels. That was a lot of what they did. True. And... Even though some of that was our own kind of like, well, we're too cool for that, what it did help us do is, again, develop our own sort of style and our own way of doing it, which became Crumbs, which was a bit more theatrical-based and a bit more dark comedy-based. And so then um, in probably 2000, Steve and I went to Seattle and we met some Germans who were like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing improv because it's dark. It's not always funny. Right. And when it is funny, it's like uncomfortable funny. Were they theater folks? Um, well, they're European. So, right. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we got invited to Germany and blah, blah, blah. You know, we toured there for so long. But Every year you would tour. Or go to uh, Europe. It, it snowballed, but but basically, yeah. From two thousand and one, every year of my life, I've been in Europe for at least probably a month, if not 
six months, which wow. was sort of the peak of it. Yeah. But again, it was because we we didn't have, you know, all of this other influence for our, our sort of childhood of it. You know, then once we found long form, we were like, oh, now we have this tool that we could really explore. Yeah. And in the last days of Higher Than the Ground, we were kind of doing some long form, but we just thought this is weird half an hour long sketches that no one would ever want to watch. But we were loving it. So then when we found that other people had explored this, figured out the tools and rules, then it really gave us that voice. And so we just had a, a distinct way of doing it. Right. And, you know, we had... Steve and I were definitely punk rockers. After I got out of heavy metal, I got into punk rock. Mm -hmm. And so our attitude towards comedy and the world was a very anti-establishment punk rock kind of thing. Like, we... You know, Crumbs, our slogan for a long time was, you know, the death of comedy and, yeah. you know, fuck him, man, he's not funny. Like, it was all about, like, and, and if you look at 90s comedy, a lot of it is really terrible. You know, there's, of course, the hits that people remember, but you don't remember all of those shitty shows yeah. that were constantly on. So for us, it was this constant rebellion against this. The norm. idea of what comedy is supposed to right. be. Right. Like, now you go on Netflix You've got every range of comedian there. You can see uh, Jim Jeffries. You can see Jim Gaffigan yeah. or whatever. So you can have every... And everyone's okay with that, right? But back in the day, we didn't really... The internet wasn't what it is now. Television was your way of getting it. And television was definitely not taking chances. Right. Maybe HBO was, but in Canada, you didn't really have it unless you had some kind of satellite dish or something. Mm -hmm. So again, we were just trying to rebel against what we thought was the normal. Like right. And it's also a great way to like kind of put yourself in a category that, you know, just so you're saying, okay, everyone's watching this. We're letting you know that there is something else out yeah. there. And well, you remember there was another group in town, uh, the spleen jockeys. Oh yeah. Uh, great guys. Great guys. But if I had to describe what they were doing is that they were trying to do CBC comedy. They wanted to do, you know, like they had pulled, pull my goalie. Yeah. Right? Pull the goal. It, it sounded like goal. a hockey song, but it was really about pulling your penis. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which would be great for CBC. Okay. But that's not what we wanted to do. And in fact, when we did try to work with CBC, they were always just like, we can't put this on the air. Really? Like, so there was an attempt. Yeah. We did a couple recording sessions with them. Um, we recorded stuff with CKND. Wow. Um but it just it couldn't go anywhere. They didn't understand who we were, and, and it wasn't going to fit. Yeah. You and know. you're not going to fit what they want. We're going to do what we want, and if you don't like it, sorry. Right? Yeah. I mean, some of it was just us being us, and others, other parts of it was the sort of us philosophically. You know, it, It's easy to look back and say, this is what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we were just doing what we were doing. Now I have a, I have a question. Was it hard to transition from a three troop or a three member improv troop down to two? Um, yes, it, it, it's hard. Like it depends on how far back you want to go. There's a specific sort of improv tool that is called tap out, which tap is out. which mm -hmm. is basically you have two people on. Let's say one's playing a mom, one's playing a dad. The third person can come in, tap out one of them. That other person stays, let's say, the mom, and the other, the new person becomes the son. 
Yeah. And then you just tap out people and you create your story that way. Generally, as a rule, you'd say you always play the same character, but because there was only three of us, we could change character. So when we had the three of us, um, it was just the perfect way for us to long form tell our stories. Mm-hmm. So really, our Prairie Herald was just a tap out with a, a less structured or a less uh, strict uh, tap out because we would do three person scenes. Yeah. We would do monologues. Um, then around the time that Devin left, which was basically in the middle of a tour or just as a tour was about to begin, we were working with a guy named Craig, uh, who is our guitarist. So when, when Devin left, Steve and I were very nervous about it because we had, we had done a few duo shows because a few shows Devin didn't show up, so we had kind of been forced to do duo shows before. Mm-hmm. But this was a final, like, okay, he's gone. We're not working with him anymore. Uh, and Craig went from being a musician on the side to, like, playing the guitar, standing up, and walking into the scenes and singing songs about the story that was happening. Wow, he really took a major role in the improv troupe then. That first year was absolutely um, incredible, and no one was, no one still does improv like that before, or to this day. I mean, where a, a, a guitarist is, would, he would stand in the middle. Like Steve and I would be having this, like you know, we're a boyfriend girlfriend having relationship trouble. Yeah, Craig would be standing in the middle, and he would start singing a song about relationships. <laughs> awesome. And Steve and I would kind of mime out. You know, the argument was still happening, but Craig would sing. Yeah. And so Craig was really great that first year to kind of like, hey, I'll help fill in so that you guys can have a breath. Wow. Um, then basically that's not the way that Craig wanted to do it anymore. And we stopped working with Craig. But by that time, Steve and I kind of were so used to doing the duo thing that... It, it was all right. It, it made it a lot easier. It made it a lot easier. So I think Craig was a big part of that first year for Steve and I to kind of figure out how to do a duo. Right. Craig basically had recommended Honeycut to us a few times, DJ Honeycut. And then after the first time that we worked with Honeycut, I realized how limiting one guy with a keyboard or one guy with a guitar was. Right. And, and I'm still amazed to this day... And there's some great improv musicians. I'm not trying to put them down or anything. But the theatrical element that you can raise by having a full symphony orchestra on one turntable and dripping water on the other... <laughs> right. Um, is, it, adds, it just bumped us up a whole other level. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know Tyler before? Well, I was a fan of his music. Like, Steve and I would drive around listening to Farm Fresh. Like, we were huge Farm Fresh fans. Right. And I had worked at a store in town, so he would come in every once in a while, and I would kind of get a little fanboy every time I, him or, or Pip's kid would come in. I'd be like, all like, hi, can I help you guys? You know, <laughs> <Exactly>. like, because <laughs> like, to me, they were the Beastie Boys. Like, mm-hmm. it, to me, I listened to Farm Fresh 
almost as much as I listen to the Beastie Boys. So in my head, there, there's no difference. If right. I'm gonna like freak out that 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 the King Ed Rock is here, I'm freaking out the Pipskids here. Yeah, now, you can't tell that the Pipskid he'll get mad at you, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> okay. he doesn't see it like that. But in my you know young years of getting into hip hop, Farm Fresh was was amazing. Yeah, for sure. So so I knew Honeycut in that sense. And but you guys weren't like friends. We weren't hanging out or anything, right. okay. no. And then as we started to work with him is when I started to get to know him. And then because he was coming with this soundtrack from film background, just knowing it, adding that to our theater element was just heightening everything. And that allowed, again, Steve and I to have these moments of a break on stage. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's a few other tricks. You know, Steve would do a monologue. I'd stand on the side. I'd have a sip of my wine, listen to what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Then I'd be like, okay, well, what scene's next? I guess we should come back to this. And there we go. That's awesome. You obviously love a stand-up because you uh, also have done stand-up many, many times. Uh, I mean, I don't think of myself as a stand-up. I think of myself as someone as, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's a hobby, but it's, it's like, it's a little thing I do on the side. Right. I don't work on it as much as I should when I, the years that I was really working on it, I think I did pretty good. I think mm-hmm. I was doing all right. You did the cavern? Did the cavern uh, a lot. Imagine the king's head for the yeah, stand-up night? Yeah. Definitely uh, John B. Duff uh, through the king's head and through uh, the cavern. He was one of the guys... We, we used to play World of Warcraft online together, so we'd stay up all night talking. And he was someone who really kind of, again, like McIntyre, guided me into the stand-up world, really encouraged me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's considered like uh, the, the godfather of stand-up in this city as far as in inspiring modern, people, getting them out there. In the modern sense, because in, the, in our days, it was just rumors. Yeah. Like, I don't ever remember seeing, like, an alternative sort of independent stand-up at a club anywhere. Like, at a, at, you know. No, I can't think of one. Um, I know there was Yuck Yuck for, like, yeah. a brief blip of time. but Yuck Yucks, was, there was, and then rumors. But even then, I, I doubt if there was open mic policies there. I don't know if there was, but I knew that, that I couldn't just walk in and, and try it. And so it wasn't really till I met Duff that I found that there was... People who wanted to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like uh, Keener is an example. He's a guy who's, who's a pretty good stand-up, and, but he's, he's not going to be a stand-up. He's got his job. He does his thing, but he loves doing stand-up. Yeah. And Duff was able to give guys like that a place to do it, to get better at it and be successful. Yeah. And a lot of the guys that are now sort of seen as the big dogs in stand-up, Duff gave them all their first opportunities. And you, you uh, performed at the Last Cavern, which was like a weekend ago, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. After 13 years, that place was kind of off and on a little bit, but basically for 13 years, that every Sunday, open mic night. Yeah. A lot of and comedians it, are going to remember that place fondly. Yeah. You know? Uh, but, you're, but there's no stand-up that you're performing in, in Europe, right? Um, have done it, but I don't do it weekly, monthly, or seek it out, really. I've done a few bits here and there. Um, but in Berlin, there's open mic nights in English almost every night of the week. So oh, wow. I, I, I could wow. be doing it more. But essentially, you know, 
I probably got a little lazy with the stand-up. Improv's taking care of me. Yeah. And with your improv in, in Berlin right now, uh, is it you doing solo work? Or is it you and a group? Are you performing? I, I have sort of two solo shows that I do in a sense. Right. Uh, one of them is me alone on stage. Um, and then another one I do with audience volunteers, which is sort of the McIntyre sort of format of getting volunteers. Yeah. Um, so every show I open, I, I tell the story about McIntyre and how I got to do it. And then I get people in the audience who have never done any improv before. How does do, it go over? Um, first of all, improvisers love it the most because when they see it, they're like, how can you do a scene that is just as good, if not better than what we do. And we train every week. This person who's never done improv, you do scenes and you make them look so good. Uh, but then audiences generally like it. It's a different kind of improv show. It's not a laughs per minute show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a show of watching. It's like a little bit more like reality TV. You're kind of watching a person try to do something that you know they've never done before. Yeah. That's just a different, like, that's a European style of improv. It's more not about uh, the comedy. It's more about uh, being in the moment and experiencing mm. uh, extreme... I, I would, I mean, this is a whole other long conversation, but generally speaking, the, the there's a lot of Europeans who are imitating the North American comedy style. Okay. There's a lot that aren't. The best ones aren't. Um... But, I mean, generally speaking, comedy improv is basically what's happening in, in Europe, mostly. Okay. You know. Right. But, I mean, in Berlin, there's probably 15, 20 groups. Most of them don't really stand out or you don't really hear about them. Um, some of them do the comedy thing really well. Some of them do the artsy thing really well. Some do both really well. Right, right. Wow. And that was, uh, and then the solo show. Mm. That, that's you for an hour on stage? Do you have a music person? Uh, two 45-minute sets. Wow. Usually a musician. Big and getting a suggestion and running with it? No, more uh, open scenes, more short formy kind of things in a sense. I'm not doing games, but uh, I, I usually do monologue scene, monologue scene, different kinds of monologues. Right. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to do like a... A new heart monologue, the one-sided conversation, like phone, on the phone. phone call thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just long pauses. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then does that take you all over Europe, or are you basically uh, all well, Berlin? No, I'm just. This is. Those are my solo sort of things where I can go out alone. And, yeah. and do things, but I also work with other people. There's an amazing improviser living in Berlin from Israel named Imbal Lori. I work with her a lot. Our group duo group is called the Laura Lees. The Laura Lees. Her last name is Laurie Lee, Laura Lees. Very nice. Um, I work with two guys from France, uh, amazing, absolutely amazing improvisers and just great artists. And we do a show called No Exit, one hour, one location, real time, no skipping in time or anything. So wow, like, really? The scene starts and it ends and it's real time, one hour. That's different. One character. It's a, it's a great, it's, uh, it's so fun because... It's, it comes back to acting a bit more. Like when you start a character, staying true to that character for one hour. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you do long form and you skip between scenes, you can kind of forget your accent a little bit. And you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, you, you're not 
as conscious of like, well, in this first scene, I said I hated potatoes. And in the last scene, I'm eating potatoes, but there's been no reference to why I would change that. It's a bad example, but okay. I think you get what I'm saying. You <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, I get you. So in that, in that one hour, you've got to justify why you've, you've made the changes that your character has made. And it's based on um, a play by a French writer called No Exit. And the idea of the main sort of theme of that is that hell is other people. So the, the play, the, the, the show, No Exit, that we do is three people who don't get along. Okay. They have problems. So this is the scene where you see all of their history of why. Oh, it's like it's all come down to this moment. Right. One, just as an example, we did one where we were three brothers. One was the older brother who, you know, in charge of everything. The middle brother who was always trying to, you know, take care of both. And then the younger brother who was always shit on mm-hmm. by the older brother. And the dad died and we're all cleaning out the attic and finding pictures and getting angry at each other through our history. Wow. Kind of thing. Wow. Um, I really love that show. And then... So what, what's, what are that, the three of you calling it? Um, we just call the show No Exit. Oh, it's just... Okay, the show's yeah. No Exit. We don't really have a group name in a sense. We okay. just do our show. It's uh, Matthew Lawson and Sky Marco from France. Again, really amazing improvises before the show the two of them are doing like yoga and stretching and like and i'm sitting there drinking red wine doing al pacino impersonations to try to make them laugh while they're doing yoga (laughs) (laughs) oh you think you can do yoga oh 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 yoga so important isn't it gotta stretch oh yeah big doing fancy improv show gotta do some stretch you should have been an impressionist i i puberty is what ruined it Oh, your voice changed and then... Uh, I lost it all. Damn it. Oh, uh, I can still do it a little bit, and if I really focus oh. on it, I can remember some of the old ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I work out of this one theater in Berlin, uh, my home theater. It's like my gas station of Berlin. It's called the Radebor Theater. Family runs it. It's a whole history. Is basically this guy back in the 80s squatted this building and made a theater. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Pretty and, amazing. And then when squatted like, it. It was like an abandoned place. Basically an abandoned building. And there's a whole like apartment building. And so like, it's kind of like these anarchistic half punk hippies took over this building. Mm-hmm. They all lived there. They had a theater and they had a workshop. And it's kind of like this collective where they all try to take care of each other kind of thing. And then when the wall came down, the government came and said, well, who owns this building? And he went, well, I do. And they went, okay, well, here's what you got to pay for taxes, and here's what you got to do. And like, okay. Wow. And they didn't even, like, look into it. They're just like, okay, well, if you own the building, you have responsibility. Yeah, well, a now. lot of the records didn't really survive, Ron. I guess, yeah. <laughs> you know? I guess so not. It's, not, it's kind of hard to prove all of this <laughs> shit sometimes. I own that, and I own that, and I own that. Mm-hmm. If you were smart, you could do that. Um, and so there... We do an English show on Thursday nights, and so I have a show called The Ambassadors, where I invite one of my friends from, usually from Europe, um, and we'll do a special show that night that we come up with the concept for right. that show. How often do you, do you perform more than one night a week? It seems like you're very busy up there. Um, I probably perform in Berlin maybe twice or three times a month. Not that much, really. Mm -hmm. And then I teach in Berlin probably four or five times a month. But then twice in a month, I'm traveling. Right. So like in the last month, I was just in Poland and did um, 
like four or five days of workshops there and, and a show. And I did the 15 minute show, the audience show. Yeah. Um, then I, before that I was at a festival in Athens, did a festival there. What kind of festival is that? Like a an theater? improv festival. A, an Im- yeah. It is. So there are a lot of improv. It's big. Ron, you can get a map, throw a dart at it. And wherever it lands, I promise you there's improv there or within wherever the next sort of major dot on the map is. Amazing. Anywhere in the world. You can go to, like, Dubai is becoming a place where a lot of people are going for improv. Really? Wow. Um, I've done improv and stand-up in Croatia. Like, um, Really? I've been to Turkey a couple of times. There's stuff in Africa. There's, mm-hmm. I'm going to South America. Right on. And speaking, you know, where, where do people get a hold of you now? Because you're not a, are you a huge social media guy? I'm not huge. I, I have my own personal page on Facebook, but then I have my artist page. I got an Instagram, but that's just for my Star Wars toys. Right. I, I have a Twitter, but I don't tweet. But, it's, yeah, the Facebook, that's how, if someone want to get a hold of you, it, you have your own page. You can yeah, search, yeah, you can search message Lee me White. On, message me on. Yeah, Lee White. Um, look for a guy that's got a big Star Wars background. <laughs> for sure. And that's probably me. If you find my Instagram, it just says, my name is Lee. I like Star Wars toys. That's, my name is Lee on no, Instagram. No, that's just what it sort of says underneath. I'm like the underscore... L dubs. L dubs. E L D U B S. Okay, good, good. Because L, E L, or L for Lee, L. Right. And then dubs, dubs. W, L dubs. All right, well, I, uh, this has been great, Lee. Thank you. Ron, Thank I you could so do this for hours, much. man. Oh, God. Do you want to make this a two parter? I'm enjoying it all, but, but you, you want to move to this money shot. You're excited about this. I, well, I don't, I'm you know, a little excited uh, right. to see if um, you're going to be the first person to complete the money shot. Um, so, and if you haven't but listened before... that's my goal, right? I, the goal is that I should get through all 100. I shouldn't, like, try to really be funny for all of it. No, or, no, don't. Yeah, you, the idea is we're going to work together, and we're going to do <laughs> 100 questions. Work together. You're asking questions. Well, I'm doing the work. That's the thing, though, because I realized when I first started, like, I'm asking questions which are way too long. So a lot of the questions are just... I yeah. try to keep them short. Some are a little longer. Um, you want to get 90% right because, uh, and it's going to be 100 questions in five minutes. And if you succeed in winning the money shot, you will win. $8.99. And last chance at the Darth Vader toaster because I want to fuck that shit up. <clears throat> All right. Maximum money shot. Lee White, are you ready? Yes, sir. <laughs> Who's your favorite pro wrestler? Baron Von Raschke. First book you read? Uh, 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 hey, what's your fingers are wiggling. Have you been to Hollywood? No. Cucumbers or pickles? Pickles. Favorite time of day? Uh, three o'clock in the morning. Average minutes you're in the shower? Mm, Fifteen. Name a costume you've worn for Halloween? Jabba the Hutt. Last purchase over 50 bucks? Headphones. Favorite subject in school? Art. Have you experienced an earthquake? Yes. Name a DC supervillain. Mm, uh, Lex Luthor. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Tiger, tiger. Favorite video game? Uh, SimCity. Do you know the rules to play dominoes? Mostly. Uh, can you juggle? No. Have you played tennis? No. Favorite place on earth? My bed. Name a Kids in the Hall character. Uh, don't put salt in your eyes. <laughs> Shoes or sandals? Shoes. Sandals are gross. Do you like going to the beach? No. What would you put in a sandwich? Uh, pickles. Ugh. First album purchased? 
uh, Iron Maiden Power Slave. A number between one and ten? Seven. Name a business on Portage Avenue. Mm, uh, the Goodwill. Yes, Virginia, there is a... Santa Claus. Red wine or white wine? Red. Are you good at Scrabble? No. Favorite Star Wars character? Luke Ooh. Skywalker. Name a Johnny Cash song. Folsom Prison Blues. Name a Johnny Depp film. Fear and Loathing. Have you seen Saw? No. Favorite talk show host? Mm, Letterman. Favorite talk show guest? Uh, Martin Short. Do you like avocados? Yeah. Where can you buy groceries? Grocery store. Who played Indiana Jones' father? Sean Connery. Favorite cheese? Uh, Gouda. What can you buy for under a dollar? Gum. Dogs or cats? Cats. Still own a skateboard? Yeah. How long can you hold your breath? Mm, maybe a minute. Can you listen to the Rolling Stones? Not and be happy. Favorite food to cook? Uh, Mexican. Name a food that starts with the letter E. Elephants. Uh, food? <laughs> it's not popular. Can you play the guitar? Not well. Power chords. Do you join in the group during happy birthday? Do you join in? No, I don't like to. Have you been to the uh, Winnipeg Gold Eyes game? Oh, yeah. Do you like spell check? Uh, no. Dean Martin or Jerry Lewis? Dean. Name someone from Jersey Shore. Schmooky. Favorite cereal? Uh, Lucky Charms. Least favorite cereal? Uh, Shredded Wheat. David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? David Lee Roth. How many minutes do you microwave popcorn for? Uh, never a set time. You have to listen for the popping. Do you enjoy golf? Uh, I've tried it once and I did. Name a member of Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, old Dirty Bastard. Name a Broadway show. Ocean, what is that? Pacific Ocean, what is it? No. Uh, South Pacific. South Pacific, that's, that's do you wear, Do you wear a watch? Uh, no. Have you sat on a horse? Yeah. Name the TV show with Archie, Archie Bunker. All in the Family. Have you been hit by a car? No. Your favorite bar in Winnipeg? Uh, the Goodwill. Your second favorite bar in Winnipeg? Mm-hmm. I don't know, one of those crazy shitty ones that Jeff takes me to. <laughs> Bleachers. <laughs> Name a Michael Jackson song. Uh, gonna be starting something. Do you like camping? No. Name something in your pocket. My phone. Name a car- uh, cartoon show from your youth. Uh, Rubik. Favorite soup? Uh, uh, yam. Stop or my mom will. Shoot. Favorite Rocky movie? Rocky. Le- least, uh, last movie you saw in a theater? Uh, uh, Ant-Man 2. Name a Degrassi character. Spike, sexy. Jim Morrison, yay or nay? One minute. Uh, Jim Morrison or what? Yay or nay? No. Fuck that uh, guy. Name a famous Ben. Uh, Franklin. Have you watched Titanic? Yeah. Did you like The Last Jedi? No. Uh, have you ever been to Flin Flon? Yeah. Have you ever traveled by Via Rail? Yeah. Name a business on Main Street. Uh, 40 seconds. Sushi place. Yushi Sushi or something like that? <laughs> Last concert you attended? Uh, I saw Venetian Snares in Berlin. Favorite Steve Martin movie? Uh, the Jerk. Favorite toy as a kid? Uh, Star Wars toys. Are you organized or messy? Messy. What is? What are you afraid of? Uh, spiders. Favorite website? Uh, Reddit. Name a location on The Simpsons. Uh, Moe's Tavern. Have you been to a wedding in the last year? Yes. Do you eat salads? 15 seconds. Yeah. Name something you would do at the Red River X. Throw up. What's your favorite card game? Uh, uh, Solitaire. Name something square-shaped. Uh, uh, square. Darth Maul or Kylo Ren? Neither. They suck Name dick. a poet. 
Michael Jackson. Name something associated with God! Oh, God, how close was I? I wasn't oh, even, God. was I? Oh, God, that was, uh, let me get let me see 70, here. 80, I don't know, 5? got to uh, b- 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 89, close. It's, we're doing really good, it was right on point yeah, until about a, halfway. There was a couple that just stopped, Main Street uh, got me there. Main Street was a little tough there, what else? I can't think of anything on Main Street. Uh, a pawn shop, maybe? Um, man, it really has been fun, Lee. <laughs> Our Lee absolute pl- I have had so much fun. Ron, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and I thank you once again for coming here, and I hope to see you again. Uh, I know you're flying back. You're going to go back to Berlin. i got to go back to Berlin. You're going to be back next year. I'll be back at Christmas, but for a short time. But yeah. uh, for a guy like you, I could be around. I hope so. I hope we get to hang out a lot I'd love more. To. Great podcast. Thanks so much for having thank me. Thank you, sir. I'll see you soon. You will. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.